and welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is Frances Harry, your host. When it comes to prayer, we sometimes can experience God's concealment or what appears to be his absence. You know, he loves the game of hide and seek. We do know that if we keep searching for him, though, we will find him. The best way to find him is to hide with him. We talked about that in our first podcast in this series on the prayer of contemplation. And we know we need to pray with a pure faith and not seek or latch on to any type of divine communications. So today I'm thrilled to have back with me Deacon Mark Danis, who will talk to us about the impact of faith on the intellect and how to grow in pure faith, as well as how to handle it when it seems like we've received locutions from God. You know, with Mark's master of theology and his Long-time Carmelite formation and instruction in the diaconate, and most especially a lifetime of prayer. He has lots of knowledge and experience to share with us. Our source for this conversation is a book by Father Donald Haggerty called St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation. This is the second podcast in this series. So if you missed the first one, you may find it at www.carmeliteconversations.com or on many of your podcast apps. So now let me welcome back my dear friend, Deacon Mark Danis. Hi, Mark. Hi, Francis. Hi, it's great to be back with you. Well, are you up for another really deep conversation? <laughs> oh, always, always. Well, let us uh, first, please, would you begin us with prayer? Yes, let's bow our heads and put ourselves in a proper mindset before the Lord to receive what it is that he has to share with us today. And we begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to dispense with any doubts, any distractions, anything that would impede our ability to open ourselves to dispose ourselves, to receive what it is that this great teacher of contemplation, of prayer, and of union with you, John of the Cross, has to share with us. We ask, as always, the intercession of the Blessed Mother that she might intercede on our behalf for an openness of heart and mind. And we ask also for the prayers of St. John of the Cross himself, to reveal to us the depth of his teaching, profound teaching on contemplation, that we might draw deeper into a union with you until we rest in your arms eternally. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, we know that anything in us is not full, that is not fully conformed to love is not part of our truest self. And we know that St. John of the Cross is wanting to help us become our truest self. So take it away, Mark. <laughs> well, you know, we mentioned last week that an hour-long conversation is not sufficient uh, to explore the depth of the material that we're talking about in two chapters. We are trying to cover a couple of chapters in each conversation but to be fair and to re-emphasize, as John would, if you were speaking to us today, um, it would be impossible to grasp the depth of the teaching in his work simply by listening to us or even by reading 
Father Haggerty's book, or for that matter, reading John's uh, primary text, all of which we encourage you to do. But nonetheless, until we take this to prayer ourselves, um, we will not fully grasp what it is that the Lord has to impart to us through his uh, master teacher of contemplation, St. John of the Cross. Um, I think it's important for us to, to recognize, and we're going to discuss it today, um, that there is darkness along this path. The darkness is to be expected. It is to be embraced. And we'll talk about that. John will. Uh, Father Haggerty will enlighten us on it. But there also are, uh, or there are also communications that we can expect to receive from God. And we need to know how to deal with those, how to respond to them. And so we're going to talk about that today as well. I want to just revisit quickly from our last conversation this idea of the um, human capacities of intellect, memory, and will. Intellect, of course, that which we uh, use for understanding. Memory, which collects all of our experiences throughout life, and we retain those up to the moment that um, we, we may be discussing it even here. And then, of course, will is the human capacity for action, uh, for engaging. And John says in a deep, um, in, in the deep, uh, because the object of these capacities, namely God, is profound and infinite. Thus, in a certain fashion, their capacity is also infinite. Their thirst, therefore, is infinite. Their hunger, also deep and infinite. And their languishing and suffering uh, are an infinite death. We talked about a little bit this idea of dying last time we um, had this conversation. We should take great consolation in this. Um, I, I offered a reflection uh, just this past week, written reflection, um, that uh, the human experience is, unfortunately for some, uh, to constantly be uh, dissatisfied. And I spoke about the spiritual benefit of dissatisfaction, which is we can never fill the longing of the human soul with anything in this world, anything in this in this life. Uh, and that's intentional on God's part. He wants us to continually seek not just our eternal life, but to seek union with him. And so these deep caverns that we talked about of the intellect, memory, and will must first be emptied of any presumption that they can, in fact, be filled by something less than God. And once that happens, as John talked about um, in, um, in our discussion last week, the living flame of love, once they are emptied, then they can, in fact, be filled with God. And that is our objective here, to, to fill up uh, all of our capacities with God. So we, Faith, he uh, says, go, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say we, we need to refuse any kind of attachment to um, consolations in prayer, satisfactions in prayer. And because our, our goal here is union with God and intimate love with him. And since he is infinite, anything that we limit him by with our own descriptions or own ideas is not God because he's more than that so yeah. far. And that's what John continues to emphasize. I think Father Haggerty, most especially in his text, continues to emphasize. If some of this sounds um, a bit out there, challenging, uh, different than what you may have heard in the past, um, he emphasizes continually, that is Father Haggerty. Remember, this is directed towards people who have committed themselves to a serious life of prayer. If you're someone who, you know, faithfully prays your rosary and goes to mass every day, and uh, maybe you have some dedication to a morning and evening discipline of prayer, that's fine. But 
this is John is talking to people, remember, most of whom are in uh, monastic situations. He's talking to people who are committing themselves to a constant life of prayer. We said last week, prayer is not an act. It is a state of being. It is continuous. Paul said, pray without ceasing. What he had to have meant by that is it is a demeanor. It is a disposition. It is a state of mind. Prayer is a constant awareness of the presence of God. Again, Brother Lawrence, the practice of the presence of God. So if these things sound um, new, perhaps even off-putting, certainly challenging, I hope they do because they are, um, we have to see them in that context. So we'll we'll keep that frame of reference. Um, For those that know St. Teresa of Avila better than they know St. John of the Cross's works, um, this topic of contemplation, this degree of prayer, of infused contemplation, begins, the beginning of it is in that fourth dwelling place or the fourth mansion where Teresa talks about the prayer of quiet, that infusion of God's love into the soul. And so um, that gives you a framework that you're, you're and, and we're talking about seven mansions that she discusses. So it's right in the middle, uh, the transition that occurs from meditative or discursive kind of prayers into this deeper kind of prayer where we have to stop um, attaching to the consolations we've received in the earlier degrees of prayer. And sometimes we're going to fluctuate between types of prayer, but we want to grow in this union and contemplative prayer will help us. Right. And and your point is well made. God begins to take over. Right. He hasn't fully uh, involved himself in our in our prayer activities at this point, but he begins to take over. And certain things uh, will obviously uh, be taken out of our hands. um, And and there's a sort of destabilizing effect that occurs um, for those who have experienced this and begin to know uh, what it's like when they are no longer in complete control of the progress of prayer. I, I want to use, as Father Haggerty did, one specific example um, from his text on page 59. He talks about the memory and this. He gives this specific example because he, he says, having provided you this, it will help you understand both um, the um, the intellect and the will and how they are purified, but he uses the memory. And I think deliberately so, because if you read John's second uh, book in The Ascent, it um, spends a great deal of time talking about the memory. In fact, he goes so far as to say all of the danger uh, that the world, the devil and ourselves bring about has to do with um, what is retained in the memory. So um, Father Haggerty offers this, The soul must journey by knowing God through what he is not rather than through what he is. It must journey insofar as possible by way of the denial and rejection of natural and supernatural apprehensions. Now, let me say quickly, there is a um, an an initial purification of the memory that has to do with a whole host of emotions, both good and bad that are related to experiences we've had throughout the course of our life. I said last time, if we've experienced trauma or great joy, great accomplishments in our life, um, we have to begin to move away from those as it relates to our understanding of God. God is not in 
those things exclusively. He's much larger than that. So I might have even said, um, referencing St. Augustine, when he looked back on his life and he saw a whole series of things, both beneficial and some some difficult, um, he came to understand that God was part of all of that, but was simply using that as a means to work through. And an example would be uh, of a material nature. Boy, there was a time in my life where I enjoyed great health. I remember that. I remember how I could run. I remember how I enjoyed vigor and strength and, you know, a whole series of benefits that accrued to me for that. And I yearn for that. John of the cross would say, we have to dispense with that. If we've now entered a season of challenged health, compromised health, he would say, this is what God has for you now. That's on a very material level. But Father Haggerty, in this particular quote uh, taken from John's ascent, Uh, book three, is saying, even as it relates to our understanding of God, we have to stop projecting onto God our perspective as to who he is. This is what he's cautioning us. This is where we get into the, the real mature aspects of this. Well, I think God is fill in the blank. Um, you know, and many people have many definitions to fill in that blank. We have to move away from that. We have to stop accepting our limited apprehension. That's to to apprehend, to perceive. Uh, We have to stop limiting ourselves by that because it is always something less than what God is. It's filtered through our own experience, through our limited intellectual capacity, through our memory in this case. and, And we have to move away from that. That's what John is encouraging us uh, to do in this. Um, and so really what you're beginning to tell us here is that we have to exercise a certain interior spiritual mortification, right? Exactly. In fact, uh, from the bottom of that same page, for the memory, this will mean the choice of not turning to distinct remembrances of any kind in prayer. We and Now I'm quoting John of the Cross specifically. We must draw it away from its natural props and boundaries and raise it above itself, above all distinct knowledge and apprehensions, to supreme hope for the incomprehensible God. Um, this is... Uh, uh, um, you know, beginning to move into that darkness that we're going to talk about in the very uh, next chapter. In fact, that we're approaching uh, quickly, the um, idea that um, we are going to have to practice, John even uses the term, a dark faith, a faith where we go by the way we do not know. We stop limiting God by our apprehensions, our perspective on him, and we allow him to manifest himself in ways that are uh, much purer, uh, much more um, clear for our deep interior to perceive, but not limited by our intellectual or material uh, perspective on him. And how that translates, like, you know, in the earlier degrees of prayer, um, you might receive some kind of stimulating thought or insight that on scripture or something in your life that was highlighted and you know um you'll be really excited about it and so you're used to having these you know new knowledge or or something pulling together and making more sense and now you know you have to let go of that and and that is difficult that is not easy to let go of that um right. but that's what we've got to do We've got, yeah. we've got to go by a way that we did not know. 
Right. Not a, not a, right? <laughs> right. And, and Father Haggerty says um, that the alternative is essentially bringing God down into our world, perceiving him in a way that we can grasp, that we feel comfortable with, that we find acceptable to us. And, and there's nothing um, untoward here, nothing negative. These are all perfectly appropriate ways that humans may grasp God. They're all just limited. They're too uh, small. And we're trying to hem God in into a way that we can grasp him. What we have to do instead um, is experience him in uh, his ultimate infinite being and love, which is what he is. And we don't fully understand that. We can't articulate it. We can't uh, draw it from our memory. Um, and we can't sort of pursue it in in, in an act of will uh, because it is simply something that we cannot fully grasp. It's going to have to be grasped in a deep interior way. Now, this emptiness, by the way, um, it's it's not as though we cultivate emptiness in and of itself as though there's some benefit. Well, I'll just empty myself. No, the emptiness is pursued. It is almost accepted is perhaps a better way um, as a means of predisposing ourselves, removing the obstacles about our perceptions of God and allowing him then to fill in that void. Nature abhors a void, and in this case, um, or a vacuum rather, in this case, um, it will be filled in, but it will be filled in by God. This is where, again, he he becomes uh, the actor. If we allow him to, if we stop trying to pull him down and, and uh, ask that he comply with our expectations, and isn't this also when when a when you're in prayer, you've been practicing prayer, you've been doing meditations, and all of a sudden you're just like, I'm started, I'm tired of doing all this thinking. I just want to be with God, yeah. you know. And and, and so it's it's kind of like a natural um, progression into this. Okay, we've got enough knowledge about God. We've got so much knowledge about God, we can't even think about all the knowledge that we have about God. And right. yet, and yet we long for God in our hearts and in our souls, and and we want to know Him in a way that we don't know Him already. And so there's that natural progression of wanting to empty of all that self. But a lot of people think, you know, this leads to um, aridity and dryness, and so they want to stop praying. And yet this pure, this getting away from all these intellectual exercises is part of what's helping you to move forward in prayer. Yeah. And, and now instead of being the one who's doing so much, it is the one who is now going to be receiving because God's going to be doing all the work. And more, so, more of the work, right. Progressively more of the work. Right. Right. Work, right. 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 We need to well, cooperate. Let's move God. on to um, this idea that Father Haggerty uh, addresses in contemplative faith, he, he um, uses the phrase certitude in darkness. Um, I think this is a, a good way of describing it. The effect, he says, that deeper faith has on the intellect when the soul is receiving contemplative graces is to plunge the intellect into a purifying experience of interior darkness during our time of prayer. Uh, and again, I appreciate much like with the memory um, that we're detaching ourselves from that entire complement of memories, uh, both material and, and even spiritual. Here, um, the intellect 
which has its capacity for understanding God. Again, as you just described, Francis, we've fed it through our reading, through our thinking, through our meditation for hopefully some number of years. And now we're going to enter this purifying experience of interior darkness. It doesn't sound uh, particularly inviting, but it is a next and necessary step because um, what we have accrued in terms of our intellectual capacity for understanding God is always something less than what he is. Um, he, he says here, um, does not experience greater clarity. In other words, we are going to move to a place where we have an under, uh, I don't want to use the word understanding, but an awareness of God's presence without the clarity that we expected to have previously through faith, John says, uh, or though faith rather brings certitude to the intellect, it does not produce clarity, but only darkness. How does that uh, play out? Certitude has to do with my realization, deep and interior and abiding, God exists. God loves me. God knows me. These are sort of general ideas that are more fully manifested deep in our interior in ways that we could very well not be able to articulate to another person. I've done that in in uh, a very brief fashion here, but, but I'm talking about experiencing these um, presences of God, if I can use that phrase, in, in a way that is much deeper, uh, much more interior, uh, much more real, much more certain to use John's phrase, certitude, but yet not produce clarity. Clarity would be to say, oh, I can I can associate that with, you know, this thing that I read or that thing that I read. We'll begin to lose that. And that's what leads to this uh, darkness, um, dryness at times, and in and of itself is very purifying. What is our response? Acceptance of that, moving into it. Um, there's a father Laird who's done, uh, he's a Augustinian done some wonderful work on this idea of going through various doors to the deep interior, uh, somewhat consistent, obviously with the uh, Teresa of Avila's use of the imagery of an interior castle, uh, but we're going through progressively deeper, more interior doorways. And each of them requires that we leave something at the doorway. Something has to be left behind an intellectual understanding of God, a memory associated with God, or a will to manifest our love towards God in a way that we've decided how it how it should happen. These progressively have to be left behind at the doorways. That gives me the idea of climbing up the mountain and you start out with all this food and all this water and all these things that you need, sunscreen, sunglasses, hats, etc. And as you get higher and higher up the mountain, you let go of more of them because it's too heavy. <laughs> You've got to let go or you're not going to make it to the top. Exactly. And in fact, Father um, Haggerty uses the term mental austerity in adjusting mm -hmm. ourselves to this interior ambiance of prayer, ambiance. Uh, what, what, what is the, the sound? Well, the sound, of course, is silence. Um, and this exercise of a mental austerity you begin to see a deeper understanding of the word detachment, right? We understood detachment early on in our prayer life as, well, I shouldn't spend so much time in the TV. Maybe I shouldn't be reading that vein of literature. Maybe I should, uh, you know, avoid these relationships. We think in a very practical material 
way about detaching, moving ourselves away from. Well, now we're beyond that. We're moving into the interior. I said last week, prayer moves from the exterior of the human person to the deeper, more uh, intimate interior. And as we make that move progressively, we have to detach ourselves from those things that, albeit, got us to the doorway, right? If we didn't have faith early on in our life, all of a sudden with reading and and prayer and spiritual counsel and and, uh, experiences in life, we acquired faith. We came to believe in God. We came to believe that he knows us and we came to believe that he loves us. Now we have to move even from that to an interior mental austerity that dispenses with that because we don't yet fully understand what any of those phrases really mean. All right. you said, and I'll echo it in John's words, uh, for the less the soul works with its own abilities, the more securely it proceeds because its progress in faith is greater. Faith purifies the intellect. We move beyond the limited capacity of the intellect. We begin to empty it. We don't rely on it. We don't fall back on it. We don't demand that it be satisfied. We move beyond that. And faith in and of itself grows. There are things, Francis, I think we would both agree that we know in our spiritual journey, we've been together a lot of uh, years and we've had a lot of these conversations. We would agree there are things that we know in our spiritual journey, both on an individual and a collective basis that are beyond our intellectual capacity to articulate, right? We, We could share things as best we could. We would share things with each other about the impact of uh, our, our Carmelite life, our contemplative prayer, our experiences with tragedy and difficulty, both of which we've had our share of, that that nonetheless are grounded in faith, in hope, in love, and a belief um, that they all work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Um, but nonetheless, they would be of an interior nature, something we couldn't adequately articulate. This is what John is calling us to, moving more and more to a dependency on the faith and not requiring that the intellect be able to reason it out and to explain it. And we have to remind those who are very brainiac (laughs) that I know this must be really challenging for you (laughs) because you're so used to working with the intellect, but faith takes you beyond, like you said, beyond where the intellect will take you. And that certitude of faith, even though it doesn't um, it doesn't uh, imply clarity, okay? The certitude is different from clarity, like you said earlier. And right. we want to encourage everyone that, you know, this purification, this darkness is a normal step on the process of growing in union with God and not to give up prayer at all. Right. Um, Father Haggerty uses this uh, terminology in describing it. I think it's helpful. He says it is inadequate to conceive of our faith as simply an assent by our mind to truths that are then held securely with personal conviction. That is a good description of faith, an assent to truth. But what if our um, experience of that truth is no longer grasped exclusively by the intellect. 
and I know we're getting into to, you know difficult territory here, but our intellectual capacity has its limitations. And once those are breached, faith does not go away. Faith, in fact, is enhanced. We're going to talk about the darkness in a moment. But um, in those moments, we have to hold to faith. We have to hold on to what we, albeit in our minds, understand. But we understand it in a way that is not limited by our intellect. He also says the effect of this union, moving closer and closer to union, depending on a soul's closeness to God, is to stretch the intellect beyond what it can assimilate in its natural capacity. This is not uh, an experience of dark doubt about God. It's darkness about our own capacity for understanding God. It's a very clear distinction and one we have to emphasize. Faith is not challenged in this um, experience of contemplative prayer. I still know that God exists. I still know that he knows me. I know that he loves me. My darkness is not about God. It's about my limited capacity for understanding him. And we would want to acknowledge that because if God is nothing more than what we can envision and articulate and, you know, express to another person, then he's a somewhat limited being. And of course, we know that's not the truth. So can you discuss about how the soul itself prepares itself? Because I know that John the Cross says, I think I'm on page 78. Um, this is a quote from the ascent of Mount Carmel. They must also darken and blind themselves in that part of their nature that bears relation to God and spiritual things, the rational and higher part of their nature. The soul must perfectly and voluntarily empty itself. I mean, in its in affection and will of all the earthly and heavenly things it can grasp. It must do this insofar as it can. As for God, who will stop him from accomplishing his desires in the soul that is resigned, annihilated, and despoiled? Yeah, so John is talking about our entry into that darkness, not resisting it, but willingly proceeding and accepting that we are going to have to leave behind, as, as you read, voluntarily emptying itself of affection and will in anything that had previously served as a way for us to grasp God. And again, he's talking across the spectrum of intellect, memory, and will. He sort of um, uh, mixes them uh, here in, in the selections that Father Haggerty has chosen. Um, but but its primary emphasis is on this emptying, this uh, purification uh, he even uses the word annihilation and people are, are taken aback. Annihilate. Wait a minute. I, I, you've gone too far now. What is this annihilate? Well, Jesus himself says, unless you, you know, lose your life for me, you will not find it. In so many words, this is what our Lord himself says. John is always grounded in scripture, by the way. You can find a reference for everything that he says um, in most often in our in our Lord's own words. Um what St. John of the Cross identifies here, by the way, as a spiritual danger when a pure effort of faith is not exercised in prayer, is the possessiveness that can take hold in our soul because of the pleasant experiences that prayer previously bestowed on us for motives of self-interest. Those experiences can be pursued as an ends in themselves. This is what we're moving away from. You say, well, my prayer doesn't 
work anymore. I'm not getting the same consolation. I'm not getting the same effect. I'm not coming away with a deeper understanding. And, and John would say, yes, that's exactly right. You've got to move beyond that. You said at the very beginning, Francis, we've got to go away that we do not know. We don't know the course now. What are our guides? Faith, I believe, hope, I pursue because I desire, and love. And love without an expectation that it's somehow going to be returned in a way that I have defined would be representative of love. That's what we're losing here. We're not losing God. We're gaining him by losing our mediocre and and, um, subordinate way of perceiving him. That's what we are moving away from. Um, And there is a great deal of um, challenge for many people in entering into that experience. Uh, Most of the the people, um, when they have satisfactions in prayer, that they conceive that as a measure of how close they are to God. But that's not the case. the one that is going through this path of purification is growing closer in union. So it's not having these insights and the consolation. So that's a really hard thing for someone, you know, they're thinking, you know, they're in the darkness and they're, they're thinking they're in a lesser prayer. Right. Um, Right. As long as they're not in any kind of big sin here, of course, you know, we're talking about souls that are aspiring to union with God. So, you know, they're they're doing a lot of wonderful things, but it's it's coming to this understanding. I think this is what you're helping us understand so much better is that this is taking us to a deeper place with God. And because it's so different from what we've had in our previous kinds of prayer with meditation or discursiveness or even effective prayer, um, you know, the, the, this is, we think that we're going backwards. And yet right. the, we know from, you know, the study of the memory, the intellect and will that especially in regards to intellect, that faith takes us beyond where the intellect will take us. And so yeah. Father Haggerty tells us, If we can maintain the effort of a pure seeking of God alone, the hidden God who eludes the grasp of our possession, we move forward on the path to him alone as our beloved. Yeah. You know, uh, John himself gives in uh, the ascent a a good example. And we we talked about it, I think, Francis, before we came on. uh, And that is the grasping of the Trinity, the three persons in the Trinity. You and I understand what the Trinity means. We've been given some intellectual, you know, explanation of that to the extent that our uh, various uh, uh, forms of instruction have provided it or our reading has provided it. And we can certainly articulate something about it. But do we really fully grasp the Trinity? Do we really understand three persons in one nature? How how can I reconcile that with my limited intellectual ability? I assure you, I cannot. But even Teresa of Avila herself had an experience of the Trinity, and John talks about it in the ascent. You cannot fully grasp the Trinity, but it can be imparted to you if you don't limit the expectation uh, of defining it by your intellect, but rather by faith. Um, and and um, as I say, John uh, uses the exact same example that Teresa experienced, which was a deeper understanding of the Trinity. When she has that and she writes about it and she does, she doesn't explain it to us. She doesn't say, oh, here's what it is. 
this is how it looks. She says, I got this profound, deep understanding uh, of the reality of the Trinity. And well, what is it, Teresa? And, you know, she's she's not there to say, I, I'm not going to try. You know, she just says, I, I, I fully get it. And we all know these experiences. They come even on, you know, lesser levels in, in human interactions. We come to understand things in an interior way uh, that, that we may not be able to fully articulate. But here we're talking about this pursuit of union, again, re-emphasizing the pursuit of union with God. If we are going to be brought in union with um, the, the, the uh, you know, perf- perfect uh, manifestation of love, then we have to eliminate everything that is inconsistent with that. Uh, even though admirable and and reasonable and you know um, perhaps pleasant for us to hold on to, it's insufficient, and so we have to move beyond it. Well, the good news about this emptying of all these satisfactions and things is that nature abhors a vacuum. So in this case, that vacuum now attracts God because he's like, okay, you we, you know, two opposites cannot coexist in the same space. I, I know I got that from John the Cross. And so here, now that you've emptied as best you can, and I'm, I know God helps us um, as we are emptied, then God can fill us. And so anything less than God is not worthy of our consideration in prayer. Right. And, and he talks about exactly that. He says, what is proposed is an unknowing rather than a filling up or a, a um, um, you know, a knowing of the of the deli- deliberate steps of the path. It is an unknowing um, that should not be confused by, um, you know, a loss of God or a lack of, of, of moving towards him. It's just the opposite. We're moving closer to him. Um, and this must be a choice, by the way. I'll, I'll emphasize that as we come to the uh, towards the end of this particular chapter. It must be a deliberate choice on our part uh, to do this. God wants to know that we want this to happen. He wants to know that we want to move forward. If we're continually, you know, sort of falling back on our confidence in in uh, grasping Him in some lesser way, then He's going to have to abandon the the engagement for a time because we're just not ready uh, to move forward. Final word on this chapter, by the way, St. John of the Cross reflected on and lived the crucifixion uh, of the one that he loved. And he came to understand that that represented a love that was beyond our understanding. I think most people would agree. Uh, we look at the, the um, you know, the irony, if you want to use a lesser word, or uh, the tragedy of the cross. And we say, how, how could, you know, someone accept that? Uh, well, this is the essence and security that we experience in contemplation, practice in dark faith. John's teaching um, on advancing with this blind or dark faith have left him sometimes open to criticism um, that he's just too harsh, he's too difficult, he can't really have meant this. And it's because of how adamant he is about giving credence uh, to what we'll discuss next, and that is um, abandoning these divine communications, not latching onto them in just the same way that we are not to latch on to our former understanding of God in either intellect, memory, or will. As we move into the next um, uh, chapter and discussion, uh, we've also got to begin to abandon even the communications uh, that God offers to us. And we'll say why he does that and, and how we respond. Um, 
St. John of the Cross's other main concern, of course, is this perception, this apprehension of God is always filtered through our limited, tainted human capacity. Even the saints in, in their uh, most explicit um, encounters with uh, the supernatural and uh, either with the Lord, with the Blessed Mother, with other saints, um, are always open to sort of misinterpreting and misunderstanding exactly um, what's being communicated. And that's because it is filtered through their own experience. And John always remains sensitive to detaching ourselves from those, um, e even uh, the, the desirous ones, uh, seeking only this pure, simple encounter with God. So let's move on, if we can, to um, that conversation. And yeah, divine uh, communications. That means like locutions, right? <laughs> Well, that's part of it. Yeah. Um, the the uh, quote on page uh, 92 of the text, Father Haggerty's text, I think is a good starting point. These things that we grasp by some particular communication through either imaginative vision in a thought or by some interior word will always be represented to the intellect in some limited mode. The goal, of course, of contemplative prayer is to arrive at union. In this state, God does not communicate largely through visions form, likeness, or figures, but he communicates directly to the soul. And so what John is saying is, we may very well experience these things along the way. Again, the list that he provides, um, an interior word, an imaginative vision, a thought. Um, all of these are possibilities in our moving from um, that sort of active meditative prayer into quiet and now into contemplation, it is possible that God will impart to us uh, some form of communication. But we are not even then to grasp it, to hold on to it. Again, John says, it will be filtered through your experience. If you become attached to it, you will begin to define the quality of your prayer by virtue of its manifestation, of its presence. Well, if it happened last time, it should happen again. I've, I've counseled a lot of people um, who have come to me having had mystical experience in some case, by the way, people who had not been spending all that much time in prayer previously. In other words, they were very active in their prayer life at the moment. But previously, they may have only been actively praying for a year or two and already have begun to experience uh, some of these manifestations. And I wouldn't say they were disappointed at moving away from them, uh, but there was a predisposition uh, to want to experience them and to hold on to them. And I point out these chapters in John and I say, no, the, the danger is in, in trying to do exactly what you're doing, uh, believing that somehow that's a validation of the quality of your prayer. It's not. Um, and we got to remember by hanging, by hanging on to them, we're actually blocking further progress. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So um, the thing I remember getting from John across and discussing all of this and trying to let go of things is, that, well, the good that was um, accomplished through that communication occurred in that moment and the fruits will play out. And, and so you, you just need to move on because to stay back in it is to regress rather than to go forward. Right. Now, these uh, communications that we talked about, we've given some examples and we will get to locutions because this chapter spends a little bit of time on locutions specifically. Um, but John says they're they're most often manifested 
through silence. In other words, when we're in that deep silence, so we know that they're an interior communication. In fact, he says his communication to these deeper layers of the soul in contemplation is rather by means of silence. Um, this is Father Haggerty. The sense appeal of such imaginative experiences indicates their inferior status in comparison to the deeper path of faith. Let, let's give an example of what we mean. If we were to encounter in our prayer an actual vision, an actual visual representation, let's say, of the Blessed Mother, and she even spoke to us, um, and we grasp it with our intellect, we can see it with our eyes, there may be a, you know, a sense of smell uh, in her presence or something. These are all uh, very material ways of the human person sort of coming into contact and, and uh, experiencing some of these manifestations. Well, John would say the more external and explicit that manifestation is, the more we have to move away from it and not become dependent on it. As those communications move deeper and deeper into our interior, they will be experienced in silence. But, he says, the certitude of their having happened will be even more real. So there are experiences of saints throughout history who will have had some sort of physical manifestation. And then months or years later, they'll say, well, you know, it was sort of like this or it was sort of like that. Or, you know, I sort of kind of we don't hold on to it as well because it's held on to only by our material and sense capacity. The deeper it moves to the interior, the more obscure it becomes, the more. Um, as, as John said, um, certain it becomes at the same time. So it's obscure, but more certain to us that this is in fact what happened. Why? Because God's imparting something to us. He's not just communicating, um, you know, a message or, or a thought or even an experience. You are loved, for example. Um, he's, he's putting something deep in the soul. Uh, deep within our interior, and that stays with us in a much more profound way than the external uh, physical manifestation uh, of a vision. And in the external, the more external it is, the more possibility of the evil one coming in and messing things up and adding things. Or, or yeah, al things. always true. Always or, true. We have to we have yeah. to keep that in mind. And so, the more internal the and the more internal, the more um safe it is that it is from god yes now there's another thing that john talks about and that is um the degree to which something that we experience in this regard has to do with um an action or arguably something we need to communicate saint john of the cross refers here especially to instructions regarding future actions based on predictions about what is to happen or uh, an understanding of events. Um, these we have to be very careful about. We, we um, should always be in conversation with a spiritual director over those kinds of instances. I've had people, again, very early on in, in spiritual uh, reflection and, and their prayer life believe that they perceived uh, something very specific, very uh, clearly uh, that they were supposed to either say or share or do, um, which would, you know, relatively little discernment turned out to be 
uh, just a misinterpretation completely on their part when you put it in the context of their spiritual journey. Um, so we have to be very careful about those things. We hear about these now, you know, it, it seems every month there's another, another manifestation of somebody who's having uh, revelations or visions or um, messages. Uh, yeah, uh, apparitions or so forth. And this is not to diminish those that the church is actively investigating and are worthy of our consideration. There are some of those as well. Um, but but most importantly, uh, when it happens to us individually in prayer, we have to be very careful. We have to go and seek spiritual guidance and counsel and not allow ourselves, one, um, to overreact to any of these, and two, um, to hope and desire that somehow that experience would replicate itself, that it would be repeated um, in future um, you know, times of prayer. Uh, and and thereby becoming attached to it. This is what John is really concerned about. Yeah, there's always the the danger of, you know, misinterpreting and and communicating something that's not entirely accurate. This has happened again, as I say, to very holy people, right? Right. Uh, People who spent many, many hours in prayer and are dedicated. They're not attached to worldly things, but still, uh, because we all have our individual experience, we can interpret things that are shared to us and with us uh, in this uh, spiritual context and simply get it wrong. But what John is more concerned about is that we not become attached to the experience. Um, since God in his immense and profound is immense and profound, he usually includes in these prophetic locutions and revelations other ways, concepts, and ideas remarkably different from the meaning that we generally uh, bind in them. That's directly from uh, the Ascent of Mount Carmel. So we share these with you, Francis and I, because we know that it, it's very real, the possibility that any one of our listeners may encounter these, maybe even early on uh, in their spiritual journey and in their prayer life. Um, but John's counsel is uh, be very slow to communicate something that you believe was communicated to you. Only do so with a, with a uh, you know, I don't want to say professional, but uh, experienced, uh, uh, experienced spiritual, spiritual director, director right. of, and one who practices prayer. Yes, uh, and and again, most importantly, don't become attached to it. Don't expect uh, uh, that that um, particular experience to repeat itself um, in the future. And you know, this is a problem that you know you like you said, where some people can get tripped on. But we also see it playing out in society, you know, they on a on a demonic side, you know, they get to the Ouija boards and they want to know that this desire, this curiosity to know the supernatural. And, you know, you if you're stuck in that, then that's going to be your downfall. It really yeah. is. Yeah. And those, of course, are very egregious ways that people are trying to discern the future. Uh, but John makes the point, even with regard to. Uh, these spiritual communications, um, God is not pleased that we desire them. He would much prefer that we simply pursue each day in faith and allow him to manifest himself in ways that he chooses. Listen, if he if he um, imparts something to us, however formal it is or however deep and interior it is, it's for the moment 
it's for that experience. It's for that time. Um, and, and unless he's called us to be a prophet or to be a visionary whose responsibility it may be uh, to share with the leaders of the church or the pope or whomever uh, something uh, more significant, the vast majority of us will never be drawn into that ministry. Uh, it's more likely what we're being offered is a hidden Sanctity. <laughs> exactly. And and for us Carmelites, we're, we're very comfortable and familiar with that. It's where we'd prefer to be, to be honest with you. Uh, but when that happens, um, God is displeased when we become attached to it. Again, it's just another attachment. And, you know, it begs the question, well, why does he do it then? Why would God impart these things to us? Um, in part, because he wants us to understand how we might react to it. He knows how we're going to react. It's not a secret to him, but he wants us to understand where our attachments may be. It may be, here's a perfect example. Uh, it may be we're facing a very dire set of circumstances in our life and it's caused us a great deal of fear and anxiety. And we may in deep prayer feel, feel, experience this. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. We didn't hear the words, we didn't see a, a face that spoke it to us, but we felt it and we knew and it was real. It was as real as anything could happen. And for a time, we live in peace and we don't have that fear and anxiety. Time goes by, circumstances ameliorate, they get better, but then we get back into another difficult situation. And again, we turn to God and we go, I want to feel that feeling again. <laughs> I want to have that experience again. And God might say to us, no, you know that I'm here. You have to move forward through this one in faith and know that I'm going to be there. Yeah, more uh, hiding and thinking. More hiding and thinking, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Deeper caverns. Yeah. <laughs> well, so let's talk, because we said we would in the, in the waning moments here. Um, I want to discuss the locutions. And you pointed out, Francis, um, John does talk about these, uh, or perhaps more accurately, Father Haggerty, in a slightly different manner. We'll draw a clear distinction here. But there are three levels of locutions. Locutions are things that are imparted to us. Uh, most often they have to do with something specific to us. They're not um, uh, something for the larger uh, church, if you will, like the Trinity experience we articulated with regard to Teresa of Avila, which, which she encountered. This is usually very specific to us. It has to do with circumstances we may be dealing with, and it has to do with um, uh, God's response to us in prayer. And so the first of these is successive locutions that John, anyway, expresses as successive locutions. And he uses this example um, of knowing a person who in experiencing successive locutions formed among um, a number of um, uh, other thoughts, some of them not, not um, um, particularly beneficial, a solid understanding about the Blessed Sacrament, a solid understanding about the inherent reality of Christ in the Blessed Sacrament. So it's something that we're um, deep in prayer about. We are disposing ourselves to an understanding. We may even be questioning it. And we have these, as John describes them, successive locutions that reveal to us something about the deeper reality of God resonant in um, the Blessed Sacrament. And so this is an example of that. He also, in that very same sentence, by the way, 
cautions not to go beyond our understanding because we then can share uh, things that are inconsistent with the uh, reality of the of the um, um, blessed sacrament. Uh, again, this has happened to people who are still saints within the church, uh, you know, going a little too far in terms of their uh, communication about things they believe God has imparted to them. And so the first of these is this successive locution. The second kind uh, is called a formal interior locution. And this takes place outside of any spiritual recollection, but in meditative prayer. So the first would have been in a deep spiritual recollection uh, beyond the prayer of quiet. Here, it's more of an intellectual nature where we are using the mind, we're engaging the mind, um, and, and something is imparted to us that is um, something we can grasp, something we can sort of hold on to uh, in, in a deeper way. It gives the appearance of an utterance coming independently from the person who receives it. And a person has in no way been uh, pondering specifically that matter, but just pondering God in a general sense. And the thought or words suddenly come to the mind clearly present as though they were heard, heard in the interior of the mind. Okay. So we've disposed ourselves. We're in a meditative state. We're not thinking about the topic uh, specifically that's imparted to us, uh, but this is called a, formal interior locution. Um, and in both of those cases, by the way, John points out there are dangers, there are risks, we've articulated them. One, holding on to them, that's the most egregious. Two, going beyond what is imparted to us and then beginning to share it with other people. Oh, guess what I, you know, I got in prayer the other day. The third kind of interior locution is, is less problematic, according to Father Haggerty. It's a substantial locution, and it involves God simply bestowing a virtue or a strength to the soul by means of an expression in words. And this is where um, you might um, remember the example, be not afraid. Father Haggerty uses the be good, you know, be good, do, do the right thing. Um, and sometimes we know we've had this experience where in prayer, something is communicated to us and we know um, that God is trying to speak to us in a very specific way about something um, that we should either um, do uh, internally again, be good or be not afraid, um, a way of bringing calm to our spirit. Well, Francis, I, I'd like to go ahead and finish our conversation here by uh, sharing this somewhat lengthy, but nonetheless, I think very beneficial quote that John uh, has in the Ascent of Mount Carmel book two. Um, and I think it kind of encapsulates what we've been talking about, both with divine communication and the caution and care that we need to take in receiving them. So from uh, Ascent of Mount Carmel, book two, God could answer as follows, if I have already told you all the things in my word, my son, and if I have no other word, what answer or revelation can I now make that would surpass this? He's setting up the the closing argument for why going beyond our expectations in these communications to anything other than God himself, to anything other than uh, what he has already spoken to us in his word. He spoke everything to us in his word, and there's nothing else really for him to say. Um, there will be these communications, but what God is saying is always turn back to Christ, always turn back to the desire to see Christ fastened back from John, fasten your eyes on him alone, because in him I have spoken and revealed all, and in him you will discover even more than you ask for or desire. 
you're making an appeal for locutions and revelations that are incomplete. But if you turn your eyes to him, you will find them complete. For he is my entire locution and response, vision and revelation, which I have already spoken, answered, manifested and revealed to you by giving him to you as a brother, companion, master, ransom and reward. If you desire me to answer with a word of comfort, behold, my son, subject to me and to others out of love for me and afflicted, you will see how much he answers you. If you desire me to declare some secret truths or events to you, fix your eyes only on him and you will discern hidden in him the most secret mysteries and wisdom and wonders of God. So that's sort of a capstone comment from John of the Cross about this whole idea of um, receiving various communications uh, from him in contemplative prayer. We are to turn everything back to our Lord and in him we will find everything. Well, thank you, Mark. You've really given us a lot of food for thought with your study and understanding of St. John of the Cross. And Father Donald Haggerty has also given us um, much to consider as well. But it is time to draw to a close today. Because, you know, we could go talking about this stuff forever. We we love to spiritual talk on this. Um, but next time we will pick up, um, I think we're going to go on chapters five and six. Um, we hope that everyone listening today has been helped by our Carmelite conversation. And we hope that you will consider to continue to join us for the rest of the series on contemplation. I think we're thinking about um, eight um, eight podcasts in this series. Could be more, but that's kind of where we're headed. And, you know, we've covered many topics on prayer and Carmelite spirituality. So um, if you'd like to see some of the other things that we've talked about in the past, you can go to www.carmeliteconversations.com. And as always, we'd like to close with a prayer. So Deacon Danis, would you please lead us in a closing prayer? Yes. Please bow your heads. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the wisdom that you've imparted to us, even in this brief conversation. We thank you for this great saint. We thank you, Lord, that you draw us into a more intimate union and you fill us with a desire not only to dispense with any obstacles along the way, any impediments that we may have acquired in our journey through life, but that you deepen that desire with an understanding that you're calling us to an eternal embrace. We ask, Lord, for the intercession both of our Carmelite saints, of our guardian angels, and of the Blessed Mother, that we might continue to deepen both our desire and our intimacy with you until that day when we will be held in your eternal embrace. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Deacon Danis. We Really grateful that you joined us today in this conversation and helped us to understand the wisdom of St. John of the Cross, especially regarding the prayer of contemplation and the purification of the faculties of the soul and the part that we play, especially uh, today in the intellect with our faith and uh, how to treat divine communications. On our next podcast in this series, we will focus on the ascetical principles of St. John of the Cross and his understanding of the purification of the will. So until we meet again, God bless you and thank you.